Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Cordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Concord matters for military chaplains. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this matter today is Pastor David Otten. He is the pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Golconda, Illinois, and also Faith Lutheran Church in El Dorado, Illinois. He's also a retired captain and chaplain from the United States Navy. Pastor Otten, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you, Sean. It's good being here. Absolutely. It's a great pleasure to have you on Concord Matters and to talk about why Concord Matters for military chaplaincy. And as I've been doing this series of why Concord Matters for and giving the confessional principles, this this one seems a little bit of a weird step outside of this. And so just to give a little background uh, for our listeners of where the idea for this episode came from, earlier this week, you and I were at our circuit pastor's Winkle that for those who don't know what a winkle is, it's an old German word. That's a meeting for pastors in an area. And uh, as is typical, we have study of Scripture and the confessions at those gatherings. And we're studying the confessions, and we're taking a look at the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. Right. And we came to the section, it's towards the end of the power and primacy of the Pope, which we have covered on this show. And paragraph 67, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says this. And again, on this show, we use Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, and uh, that's available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. So again, Power and Primacy of the Pope, paragraph 67, it says this, Wherever the church is, there is the authority to administer the gospel. Therefore, it is necessary for the church to retain the authority to call, elect, and ordain ministers. This authority is a gift that in reality is given to the church. And out of that, naturally, at our circuit pastor's winkle, we were talking about the authority to call and what the call looks like and what the church is. And we were referencing Augsburg Confession on that. And at one point, you brought in military chaplains. And I kind of made a little flippant statement, not disrespectful. My dad's a Navy man. I have great respect for uh, the military and for those who serve as chaplains in the military. I know my dad has benefited from that in his own life as well. But uh, I kind of flippantly say that, well, when it comes to chaplains, it's a whole mess anyway, right? Yeah, And it really is. It is, it is. And so I thought this really is a Concord Matters episode and and the discussion that we had. And so basically, I'm looking to reproduce our conversation from earlier in the week on the show here, maybe even go a little more in depth, is I think that this is beneficial for us as we consider, once again, what the church is and how we view ministry and how not just military chaplains, I mean, that's going to be our direct focus as that's your experience and where we're going to be talking from here, but really kind of any of those things that consist of ministry in a sense, those kind of other roles and so forth, but aren't the pastor in a church gather around word and sacrament. And so 
I'm looking forward to this conversation with you today. And we're going to get back to that. I'm going to, I just wanted to set that up where we're going to go. And then we'll come back to that. I think in order to set up that conversation, though, it's maybe a, a good idea for us to get an idea of when we're talking about chaplains in the military. I think that the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate has a rather strong military chaplaincy. They're well-trained, and we also have quite a few of them. Right. And so I just want to give you an opportunity in setting everything up here today of talking from your own experience and kind of what you know about the Lutheran presence, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod presence of chaplains in the military, and just give us that background to set us up here today. Sure. And thank you for that. The Missouri Senate has about 147 military chaplains, and that's covering both reserve and active duty chaplains through the three ranks or the three uh, branches of the military, which is Army, Navy, and Air Force. Marine Corps comes underneath the Navy. Marines don't like to hear that, but that's part of uh, reality. So Marines and Coast Guard both receive their chaplains from the Navy. So I can wear actually three different uniforms, or I should say I could since I was now retired. And I've served with both Marine Corps and Navy units throughout my time within the military and enjoyed both sides. There's benefits to both of them from my advantage point. But the ministry is still always the same. It's a ministry of presence to the people there, to the service members and their families, And it's a ministry of caring for all, but a ministry also that deals specifically with faith group issues. And so I'm doing Lutheran services. Sometimes I'm doing Protestant services. And there's a difference between those two. If I do the Lord's Supper, it's a Lutheran service because there's not a generic idea of the Lord's Supper as far as any Missouri Senate Lutheran chaplain would be concerned. It's always presenting it as this is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so when I do a Lutheran service, I make it quite clear that's what this is, and that as one would come to this, that they are acknowledging what the small catechism is proclaiming about it, and for the most part, it's always going to be Lutherans that are going to be there. Uh, overseas, I might find some folks that, or on a ship, let's say, as well, that would not be Lutheran, but saying, hey, this is always what I believed. You know, I, I never realized this was written down someplace. And so we'll talk about that before, you know, it's not a quick thing that, oh yeah, come on in. It's, I want to make sure they understand what they're doing here at that service and what they're receiving. So again, it's not trying to uh, just kind of be a cowboy out there and do whatever I want. I want to be governed by what we see in Holy Scripture, by the Book of Concord, by those things I learned at seminary, be consistent with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as I'm ministering in some exceptional situations at times. Um, The road to, let's say, becoming a chaplain is, first of all, you go through seminary training. You then also, they all want you to have at least two years of parish ministry. There are ministers that go in there and they're right out of seminary, but there's a great advantage of having that civilian ministry under your belt first. Doing funerals, doing weddings, doing baptisms, doing all those things which we do as a Lutheran minister, and then getting into the military side. And the military finds that advantageous as well as the Lutheran church finds it advantageous. So there's a push to have that practical side under your belt 
before you get into the military side as well. After you've been accepted and endorsed by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and by whatever branch you're going into, you go then to their particular training school, chaplain school, whatever each branch may call it. The Navy has their chaplain school at Newport, Rhode Island. And each year, it's fashioned a little bit differently. It kind of depends on who's running the show there. So they may change it from being more than, may add a week, may have less than a week, but it's not a long process. And reservists and active duty chaplains both go through that. The reservists, however, can divide it up between kind of three segments, or at least it used to be three segments if they're continuing that. And again, with each person that's running that show, they may say, hey, we want to we want to do this a little bit differently. But once you have your basic training, then you're free to do chaplain material. Otherwise, they really want you just to watch and see how things are done. So the military is concerned about you being trained about how to work with the Marines, the sailors, if you're in the Army, then the soldiers, if you're Air Force, and the airmen. They want you to know what those resources are that each of those branches provides to help you in the ministry that's there. But as always, your theological education comes totally from your church. The government is not there to try to teach you religion. That's not their role. That's a violation, actually, of the First Amendment. So I always look to the training that I've gotten from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis to understand how do I go about this ministry. And from the various times that we have as Lutheran chaplains that we come together and we do a yearly gathering where we emphasize certain training, certain things, so that we make sure that we're not going just out on our own, and that we're not just a person that's saying, well, here I'm out here, I'm being kind of a cowboy in this wild west, and I got to make everything up as I go. No, I have guidance, and that's always been a blessing to have that guidance from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, from Chaplain Mueller, Craig Mueller, who is the endorsing agent for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate for military chaplains. And so that has been a great thing. And then being able to get into the weeds of that chaplain's program, where I'm on a ship, where I'm in the trenches with the Marines, possibly in a chapel, because you're not always at a chapel. Uh, that's kind of the nice place to be. That's where you got a nice office. Otherwise, you're really on board a ship, and here's this little nook that they give you, and you don't have a chance to bring your, all your library with you, and so you're trying to figure out how to stuff everything you can in this little small space. Or if you're out there with the Marines in the field, there you basically have your Bible, and that's it. And yes, my communion kit. And if I'm doing worship services out there, yes, I have a religious program specialist. That's what we call it in the Navy. He's a chaplain assistant. And he's supposed to be the one that carries at least a few more of the things that I would need to have to do worship services. I've done baptisms in the field, literally. Uh, One of the last baptisms I did in the field was actually with Seabees. And this was in a front-end loader bucket where we filled that with water. And I did a two-week baptismal class with him. And then we did the baptism. And one of the wonderful things that was able to do is that he was always told by his minister, you're not good enough yet to be baptized. Once you get to be good enough, then we can baptize you. And I got to tell him about the blessings of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that your sins are all forgiven, and that in baptism, forgiveness is there. Because out of the faith tradition that he came from, 
that whole idea of baptism was that it's a good work that I do, and I'm not really ready to do this yet. You're not really worthy to do it. And of course, John, you and I both know that none of us are worthy of baptism. It's by grace that we're saved, through faith, for the sake of Christ. And in those two weeks of those classes I got to bring him through, he says, this is the first time I've understood that I'm forgiven. But yet he's been part of a a particular faith church his whole life. But both his dad and his minister said, no, you're not yet good enough to be baptized. And so it's been a blessing to have that. Yeah, several things in what you were talking about there made me think that this could potentially put, especially our Lutheran chaplains, in a real tension at times. But maybe even other traditions, too, as they have different views on worthiness for baptism and so forth. But I'll go back to what you said about the Lord's Supper. And I appreciate you saying that you're not out there being a cowboy. You're not going against what we believe, teach, and confess as Lutheran Christians when it comes to the practice of closed communion and things like that. You're doing what we would do in at a parish, right? Right. Someone comes in, well, we need to sit down. We need to talk about this. We need to go through some catechesis, some instruction. But when you're out on a ship, right, uh, it's not like you can connect them with a local congregation and so forth. You're essentially doing that. And that's going to kind of launch us into what I really want to talk about in terms of how we view the call and things like that. But before we even get there, I think at times that you may be in attention, as we even see in the parish, that because of what we believe, teach, and confess as Lutheran Christians, that people might not like that. Like if someone comes to you and says, well, I want communion, and you say, I'm sorry, I can't really do that. This is what we believe, teach, and confess. And it seems that you don't agree with that, and we think that can be taken to your harm. And you explain it and so forth. But, you know, you're an agent of the government in a sense. They cut your paycheck, you serve in the military, and they could maybe create some trouble for you and so forth. Sure. Can you talk about that tension and how you kind of navigate that tension of being faithful to your confession, especially as a Lutheran, but then also the fact that there's going to be a tension. Again, it even happens in the parish oh, yeah. for us, and you have that experience to draw on as well. So maybe kind of talk how that's similar or different even. Yes, and understanding the uh, two kingdoms, the left and right-hand kingdom, as Luther talked about it, is a great help in navigating that. In fact, I had a uh, one other chaplain, a very well-schooled chaplain out of the Presbyterian Church, and he says, you Lutherans understand how to do this. And he didn't agree with me on a lot of things, but he says, you Lutherans understand chaplaincy. And so he appreciated our understanding of the two kingdoms. Because yes, as a Navy officer, I have Navy officer responsibilities. Sometimes that's making sure that the narcotics, and that was part of my job, was to make sure that narcotics that needed to be destroyed on board a ship was destroyed. Well, that has nothing to do with being a chaplain. That has everything to do with being a Navy officer and being able to say, I'm responsible, I know what I'm doing as an officer, and I know how to do this the proper way. And then as a chaplain, now the beautiful thing is that the military says, When it comes to the chaplain side, when it comes to the idea of your cross, and in the Navy, you wear your cross on one collar and your rank on the other. And so when they say, well, what comes to the cross side, we're kind of hands off. We're not going to tell you how to write your prayers. We're not going to tell you how to do a worship service. That's the cross side. And that's been a great freedom for me. And so if somebody asks me a question about anything from same-sex marriage, to um, how about thou shall not kill, and how does that, what does that mean in the military, which is a real interesting question when we get into stuff like that. I have the total freedom 
to say exactly what I believe and to explain from Scripture how this works out. And so, yes, there's a tension there, but the military has said, if you're talking on the cross side, hey, we're not going to touch you at all. But now if you're going to tell us how to do something with Navy ordinance or if we're going to do something with Navy policy, that's another story. That's our area. But doing a worship service, no. Now, on Protestant services, there is a tension there because it's advertised as a Protestant service. So if, and I kind of mentioned, if I would try to celebrate the Lord's Supper and be true to the confessions, which I'm going to be, I have to announce this as the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given and shed for you. And therefore, a lot of the Baptists, the Pentecostals, other faith groups are going to say, well, that isn't what we believe. And so I've always made it a point to, if I don't run the chapel, if there's another person that runs it, I'm saying, I am not going to do the Lord's Supper because it will turn into a Missouri Synod Lutheran worship service. And that's not what you want. Therefore, if you're going to advertise it, I will preach, I will pray, and I will preach according to what I believe, which every chaplain is allowed to do that. If you're in a Protestant service, you get to do that. But once I would do the Lord's Supper, it really becomes a Lutheran service. Therefore, I've always told people, I said, if we're going to do this, it needs to be called a Lutheran service so that it's clear that everyone that comes in here, they can say, oh, this is a Lutheran service. So I can expect Lutheran doctrine. I can expect Lutheran teaching. I can expect Lutheran understanding of the Lord's Supper, baptism, all these things. And that really has done well for me. And I think other Lutheran chaplains, if you honor what you advertise, then there's not a problem. Now, I can't do a Catholic service because the Roman Catholic Church would have a hissy fit over that. I can't do a Jewish service, though I've had a number of Jewish individuals say, chaplain, could you lead our Jewish service? And I'm saying, I pray to Jesus? Oh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> so again, we've, but we get along. I care for each one of those individuals. But I have to say, when it comes to a religious service, when it comes to a Bible study, you ask me a religious question, it's going to end up being answered according to my Lutheran faith. I'm going to be very loving about it. I'm going to be very caring about it. And you may not like the answer, but it's not that I'm trying to attack you. It's more or less, this is where I stand. And I've been able to stand very well with that. Yeah, and obviously as we see things go in our country, just broadly for Christians and the relationship to the government, and those things could change someday. But for now, we rejoice, and at least through your career and ministry and so forth, that has been the case. And, you know, I've encountered several people throughout my life who have been influenced by Lutheran chaplains. I mean, that's been their only exposure. And we Lutherans are the weird Protestants. I've I've talked about that on the show. You can't go through the confessions and see that we're really the first Protestants, but we're the weird ones that it seems like we fall between Rome and the other Protestants. But uh, really, it's just the faithful confession of Scripture. That's what we believe, right? But that we can give that faithful confession. And I commend that service where, again, you say, all right, we're going to have a Protestant service here. It's going to be faithful Lutheran proclamation of the word, but we're just going to keep it there because that I can do standing on a street corner to anyone. I, I, I can do that to Jews. I can do that to Muslims and so forth. And I'm not trying to act like I'm professing their faith. Quite not, actually, right? It's the faithful proclamation of the word, and we can right. do that broadly. But when it comes then to the sacraments and the administration of the sacraments, 
specifically the Lord's Supper, we have to be pretty specific there, again, yeah. because of what Scripture gives us to believe, teach, and confess about that. And so we really do rejoice that you have that freedom to be faithful in that sense. But then it gets us into, again, what we're talking about, or what I really wanted to talk about today in terms of the call sure. and the ministry and that kind of connection as well. And again, you have both parish ministry experience and also the military chaplaincy. And so feel free to relate those as well. But I said earlier, you know, out on a ship, you're going through the catechesis when it comes to the Lord's Supper and you're going through that process and things. But you're not technically a called and ordained servant of the word in that setting. Although at times you're going to administer the sacrament. And that's a tough diagnosis of where do chaplains fit in And again, any of these other kind of roles that we have in the church, maybe, well, just generally chaplains in general, I have experience as a hospital chaplain myself and similar sorts of experiences there where you're not really a parish pastor and you don't have that call, but yet at the same time, you do a lot of the same sorts of ministry. So can you talk about that experience a little? Sure. And the Catholic Church actually does set up parishes on a military base. So that Catholic chapel is actually almost owned by the Catholic Church. And so they have actually a full-fledged congregation there. Protestants don't. We have an assembly of folks that come together. And even if I would have a Lutheran service, it's still those military members belong to Lutheran congregations back in the United States or wherever they come from. And of course, it's going to be United States if you're in the military. U.S. military. So I always respect the congregation. Somebody says, hey, Taplin, I want you to marry me. I'll say, does your minister know about it? I want to make sure they're still connected with their congregation. So no, I don't set up a congregation on board a ship. I don't set up a congregation on a base. Catholic Church does, but we don't. Therefore, I do have to walk that line of saying, yes, I am called by the Missouri Senate at large, and as the Missouri Senate has gathered in a convention at times and said, as those congregational members have said, this is what we believe, this is what we hold to, that we want to have a military ministry that goes on, it has been through them that they're saying, yes, we are sending you forth to do ministry, which will include sacramental ministry. So it's not just because, hey, I graduated from the seminary, I got my MDiv, now I can go out and do this. No, I still have to have a call. I still have to have something from the congregations of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod that say, yes, you are our person that is out there in the weeds dealing with ministry in a very unique situation. And so I always look back to where my call does come from, but it is not a parish call by any means. I don't have a constitution to that Protestant service or even to the Lutheran service. There's no constitution. There's no saying, okay, you're a member of this. It is a gathering of Christians where two or three are gathered together. Yes, our Lord is there with us. And we're proclaiming that gospel. And the gospel is enriching them. And if it's a Lutheran service, then I can also enrich them as I bring to them the Lord's Supper. Or if it's where we're doing a baptism, I can again deal with saying, here I am following the Lord's command, baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, following what the church has done through the ages. 
But again, not as merely just an individual that's out there because I graduated from seminary. Yeah, I guess what I might summarize that is you're not trying to set up your own church apart from the church that they are connected to and you want them to go back to when they're not overseas and things like that. And certainly a great connection that we always want to have within being synod, walking together in a common confession and practice. And that's a great thing. So obviously, again, we still kind of have this tension of the call and how that influences. There's theology behind that. That's what we're going to pick up on the other side of the break. We're going to take a break right here. But when we come back, we'll go ahead and we'll pick up what's the theology that kind of forms, again, call to the broader church for a specific ministry, but what's the theology that's at play and at work there? So we'll take a break here. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word every weekday from 11 to noon. We will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with Pastor David Otten, and we are talking about why Concord Matters for military chaplains. Really like what you've set up for us in the first half of the show, talking about your own experience and that it really does matter that you're faithful to your confession as you carry out your work among sailors in the United States Navy and as our chaplains throughout all the branches seek to do that faithfully. And as I set up at the very beginning of the show, one of the ideas that came from this show was our talking earlier at our circuit pastor's winkle earlier this week about the power and primacy of the Pope and this line, wherever the church is, there is the authority to administer the gospel. Therefore, it is necessary for the church to retain the authority to call, elect, and ordain ministers. This authority is a gift that in reality is given to the church. And our conversation at our circuit pastor's winkle was, that really gets messy when it comes yeah. to military chaplains and as you view that role because you're doing word and sacrament ministry in, in a lot of respects and being faithful to your confession. But then at the same time, you're not really church and you don't want to be a cowboy. I appreciate how you said that. You know, you don't want to disconnect yourself, especially from the church body that you come from or the people that you're ministering to from the individual congregations that they're coming from while you're ministering to them for a time, and, and even others that come from other denominations as you have general Protestant services and so forth. So it just kind of creates this mess up. Do you have a call to a specific? You're not trying to set up a congregation, you said, but is it a call where two or three are gathered in my name? There I am, as you quoted, and as Jesus says, right? So how do we understand this? What's the theology that informs your work Again, trying to be faithful to our confessions of how you view your practice as a military chaplain in Word and Sacrament ministry. I think one of the things that we have problems with in America is, I kind of think of the Old West, and I did use the term cowboy. By the way, I like cowboys. I was raised with cattle and horses, and so I understand that. But if you look at a lot of that Western scene, and you get this itinerant minister that comes out there, And he's the one that starts a church. He's the one that's doing all this. 
and then many times leaves them high and dry after he takes the money from them. America kind of has this idea that I don't really need something else. And maybe that comes from our Enlightenment background, that I don't need something else. I'm good in of myself. And I think that's part of the problem that even rubs off on Lutherans, that why do I need something else? I'm good all by myself. Well, we really need God. We need his word. And many times, you know, I'll ask a question, and even in Bible study, where let's say like with Psalm 1, okay, where's this person that's planted? What is he receiving? And many times they, well, they'll talk about the Holy Spirit. And I said, yes, the Holy Spirit. But how do we, how is it that the Holy Spirit communicates to us? Well, it's the word. So we always have to stay grounded in the word. And of course, our confessions are absolutely grounded in the word. And that's part of the blessing, as opposed to, let's say, something that is a non-confessional church where really each congregation, each minister is kind of saying, well, this is the word to me. And sometimes that means I'm going to choose only this portion of scripture being the word, if it's a more uh, liberal group, or this is how I'm viewing it. And my sister church down the way, we're viewing it entirely different because we're not on the same page of music, even though we're both saying, well, we believe in the Bible. That's why the confessions are a wonderful thing because they help bring us together and saying, yes, what is this word saying? What do we believe, teach, and confess as Christians that are in this world? And that's what the confessions have done historically. They have been able to bring us together. We've been saying, yes, this is what we believe. So when Rome asked us questions back with the Diet of Augsburg, what do you believe? Well, you had the Augsburg Confession. This is what we believe. It wasn't just, oh, we believe in the Bible which is what you get from a lot of Protestants. Well, we believe in the Bible. Well, okay, Uh, what does that mean, though? Good Lutheran question there. And so we do go to our confessions, and we do see where it talks about what the church is, that the church is not a hierarchy, which is something that Lutherans have said, hey, it's not a hierarchy. The church is not the bishops and the ordained ministers. The sacraments were not given to just that small group of people. The sacraments, as we confess it in the Book of Concord, is given to the church, which is the people. And when I went through seminary, I studied Pieper, and a line out of Pieper is this is under his the call into the public ministry. Scriptures teach that neither the pope nor the bishop nor the clergy as an order, nor individual persons within or outside a congregation have the right and authority to confer the public office of the word, but solely the people to whom is given the spiritual power on each and to whom word and sacrament in particular have been entrusted originally, and these are the believers or the Christians and nobody else in the world. So, yeah, it's not the, it's not the military that gives me my ability to preach. Uh, yeah, they allow me to be on board the ship, but it's not them that gives me the ability to preach. It's what has been done by the people of God, that they are the ones that call somebody. They are the ones that recognize the immediate call that a person that says, well, I want to go to the seminary because I feel God has called me to this office. Yes, we understand that there's an immediate call, but we also understand that the church calls us, that the church recognizes what the Holy Spirit has been doing in this individual so that they are able to perform the public ministry that we are in need of so that the gospel is preached, 
so that the sacraments are administered and rightly administered, so that people are consoled as they understand that they're sinners or they have these challenges that the world oppresses them and how Christ can be brought to them. So we do look at those portions of the small called article of portions of Scripture which really point out the idea that it is the church that God has given these wonderful gifts to, the gifts of the gospel, the gifts of the sacraments, not just to an individual here or there, but to the church. So, and this was one of the things that we talked at our circuit pastors, Winkle. Again, even in the local parish and so forth, when you talk about pulpit supply pastors who come in to fill in for a pastor for a one week or in a vacancy situation and so forth, again, that's one of those roles like a chaplain that it's a little weird because it's not the call of that local congregation that you know, is the normal, rightly ordered call for doing word and sacrament ministry as Augsburg Confession 14 lays out for us to do. And yet we have words, especially I'm thinking of the absolution. This is something we talked about earlier in the week at our Winkle is, can you rightly say, I as a called and ordained servant of the word, can you say that in the absolution? And the theology that you're giving us, I appreciate whenever we bring in Francis Pieper's dogmatics. Thank you for bringing that in. A great systematic theologian who really understood the confessions really well and his three-volume dogmatics series, very lengthy treatment. Maybe I'm creating my own volumes with this radio show. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, nowhere near as good as what Pieper does in teaching our Lutheran confessions. And so thanks for bringing that in and highlighting for us, this is our Lutheran confession is that there's a tension going on, right? We are talking about the local congregation and the gathering of the saints there, that the gifts of word and sacrament are given to them as the church proper. And yet we also have the larger body of our denomination, but also the larger church and that faithful confession throughout the world. And all of that plays into this. So, you know, I've just kind of gone on here for a little while, but it's a lot to take in and to diagnose and think through when it comes down to what would seem like a simple question of, can you rightly, once again, formed by that theology that you just laid out for us, can you rightly say, I as a called and ordained servant, when you give the absolution in a service within the military, for instance? On the reserve side, it probably flows a little bit easier because as a called and ordained pastor of our Redeemer Lutheran Church, our Redeemer Lutheran Church sees the military ministry or at least before I was retired, as an extension of their ministry. They see that they are sending me out to do the ministry that is necessary for these sailors and Marines. Just as if we have one of our members that's out in a nursing home, I bring the sacrament to them. I announce absolution. And so it's an extension of that ministry that's found in that congregation. And so it reaches out even to the military members. And so I can say definitely as a reserve chaplain, yes, I'm called and ordained to do word and sacrament ministry. And the congregation views that ministry I do in the military as an extension of their ministry. And therefore, it's not even taken away from the congregational setting in their understanding of it. And I think many others have looked at that in the same way that just as I would go to a nursing home to visit one of my members or I discover a Lutheran that's in there and they've been detached from their congregation, they recognize me as a called and ordained minister, yes, they want that ministry for them. 
might become a little bit more challenging with a person that's totally active duty because he is not ministering at a congregation. Throughout my time as a active duty, and I was active duty for about 12 years and reserved for the rest of the time that I was in the ministry or in the chaplaincy, I was always a member of a local congregation. Now, that local congregation did not call me, and it would have been very inappropriate to try to usurp the pastor there. And I actually had one close call, but fortunately my wife is also very well trained and understands where I was in Japan and this one member came up to my wife and says, well, I don't like our pastor. Could, when your husband comes back, could he set up a congregation? No, I can't do that. I'd be in trouble with the district president. I would have been in trouble with the circuit uh, visitor, called him circuit counselors at that time. I would have been in trouble with the endorsing agent. You know, there would have been a whole bunch of problems because that's not what I was called to do. But I am called I said, if you go back to convention, the convention says, we want military chaplains out there. These congregations come together in a synodical convention and say, we want this. And we're going to authorize folks like Craig Mueller and others that sit on the Ministry of the Armed Forces Board to ensure that we're getting word and sacrament ministry out to our Lutherans that are out there. So I am called, or that active duty chaplain is called, by those congregations through this synodical arrangement. Yes, it's not the same as a parish ministry, and I would say that the parish ministry is still, if I could use the term, a higher ministry in the sense that it is reflecting a lot of what we find in Holy Scripture. As a chaplain, like I said, I don't set up a congregation. I am ministering in that chapel. It's not a church building, it's a chapel, and it's named that way because There's a unique idea of the congregation that's found in a parish of those individuals coming together and saying, this is who we are and this is where we're planted. And also within that military side, we have people moving in and out all the time because they get reassigned. They can get ill, so they have to go back someplace else. They can't be there. And so it's always in flux. Granted, a congregation can have some of that flux, but not in the same manner. But yet we're still being called to go out there and minister to those who are Lutherans and, yes, to to others as well as we're able to. I can always share the gospel. I'm a missionary is basically what we are as chaplains. We're in a different culture. And by culture, you have a different language. And a lot of times, if you're trying to communicate to the civilian side and you decide you're going to use all good Navy terms— they get lost. I think there was a movie that had Danny DeVito in it. I can't remember the name of the movie right off. And he goes on to this army base. And all of a sudden, he's hit with all these different acronyms. He's in a different culture. People are dressed differently. They talk differently. They have different social interaction. There's a different authority system in there. It is a different culture. Granted, yeah, it's not like going to Japan and being in that culture because there's still some connection there, but it's a different culture. It is a missionary call to say, I'm going to bring word and sacrament ministry to this culture and where it can extend it to individual because we have been following what the catechism talks about, what the Lord's Supper is, using those 20 questions of Luther. Wow, then I can touch people's lives and I can help them reconnect even with their own congregation. So there, I do see the call and I see it coming from the congregations, but through that synodical arrangement that we have. 
And what you're highlighting, at least for me as I'm sitting here listening to you, is that it really is a divided role that you serve as a military chaplain. Like the Synod sends out missionaries exactly. and, and we're the body and agency and it's the collective congregations doing that. But then also that as you do word and sacrament ministry, this is where I think the clarification of the term chaplain is helpful and that we're not using the term pastor. Are you a pastor? Have you served as a pastor? Yes, we're not negating any of that, especially if you're serving in the reserves, as you said. But And especially what made me think of this was your, you talked about being the full-time active duty. It's really a chaplain position. You're, you are called to minister to a specific purpose with those who are connected with a congregation. And what I found myself thinking of is here in southern Illinois, we have this quite a bit in our circuit area here where someone goes into a nursing home that may be a little bit closer to where I am. Uh, I have several that I do this for, and then others that I partner with on this, that it's a little bit farther for their pastor to come to that nursing home. But I have a few folks there, and I'm going there anyway. And so I work with him, and when we get together once a month for our circuit winkles, he and I are checking in with one another as we need to, calling and checking in with one another as well. And we, we're doing this as a synod. And once again, I think brings us back to this idea, that's why using the name of the show, that's why Concord Matters, is that we would have this agreement in our confession that what they're receiving from me is the same as what they're receiving from their pastor. And I'm not a cowboy trying to do it apart from their congregation and their pastor, but in connection with. And that's at least the way that I view the work of chaplains. Again, whether it be in the hospital or in a nursing home setting, assisted living setting, in military That's the great role that chaplains have is that they are doing word and sacrament ministry, but they're doing it in essence in the call of their pastor. Their pastor is in essence partnering with you and giving you some of his responsibility to that person as you can carry it out for them as they are unable to. They can't, I might like to, you know, I I, I would love to go, you know, off on a ship and be in the Navy. And by by the way, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. Yeah. (laughs) We've, we've, yeah, we've been down that road. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, those sorts of things would be just impossible for me. I find it impossible to serve a dual parish here in Southern Illinois. And, and it is always something that I make of this show as well, that this show does not replace your local congregation. And right. that's something we emphasize on all of our KFEO shows, even as we make available Sunday services over the radio here on KFEO Radio and so forth. That should never replace the local congregation or your pastor. And don't you dare ever use me against your pastor either. Yeah, no, yeah. And I totally agree with that, the, the nature of the congregation. And I think I mentioned before that somebody would want me to do a, a wedding for them. And I can do a wedding for the, the military never says you have to do a wedding. They say that's on the cross side. That's whatever your church tells you what you can do and cannot do. They don't force us to do anything on that. But I've had, I remember a Catholic individual say, well, I'd like you to do my my wedding. I said, does your priest know about it? Because even though I may have the freedom to do it, if he wants to stay connected to his Catholic church, I believe I have a responsibility to be upfront, or upfront may be the wrong term, but being frank enough with him to say that this could damage your relationship with your congregation. And so even where, let's say, there's a Lutheran that says, hey, I want you to do a marriage for me. I said, well, does your Lutheran pastor back in Alton, Illinois, know that you want this marriage to occur? Because I don't, I want to make sure that you guys are doing some good things, and I'd like to receive a blessing. In fact, I always asked with marriages, 
could you get a letter from your pastor saying he is okay with a Navy chaplain doing this? Because I don't want this to be a clash between the Navy and a civilian congregation. And therefore, with the Lord's Supper, it is where I'm serving other people's members. Just like I have one lady that she's a shut-in. She lives uh, between El Dorado and Golconda, but she's not a member of either one of those. She's a member of a LCMS congregation up in, uh, I forgot what town she comes out of, but she's somehow she got planted down there, and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of a challenge for this lady who has to use a walker The closest grocery store is 20 miles away. But I come up and I visit her, and I made sure that I'm in touch with the pastor to say, hey, I'm ministering to your member. And if you have any questions, you're always free to ask me. And, you know, I keep that connection open because I understand that is a member of another congregation. But, again, we have this relationship. We're not as in some congregation or some denominations where if you go from, and I kind of think of, particularly independent Baptist churches, where, no, I can't commune you because you're part of Brother So-and-So's congregation, and therefore I have no right to do that, and they won't not commune them if they come to their church, even though they're maybe believing the same thing and even part of the same denomination. We don't have that. We understand that we are working together, but we have that respect for each other. We want to make sure that we're taking care of those things that need to be taken care of concerning respect, concerning we're preaching the gospel. We are on the same page. We're walking together in this ministry. And so I'm concerned about that, even with people that are not Missouri Synod Lutherans when I'm there, that I am not saying, oh, I'm your chaplain, and I can even override your priest or your pastor back there. No, that's not my role as a chaplain in that situation. It's to bring them through the current challenges and problems that they are going through as a sailor, as a Marine, an airman, a soldier, in wherever they're at that point in time. Yeah, and I think brings us back to, again, that question that I started with is, how do we view the call and the gathering of the saints? And when we understand that, yes, there is the broadness of the church, but we always want to support that local congregation and local gathering of the saints and especially the one who is rightly called and will have to give an account for the souls entrusted to his care on the last day, as Scripture teaches us. We don't want to do anything to undermine that, and that's a respect that we have at all times, as you said, especially as I think about, again, even the instance that I brought up in terms of pulpit-supplied preaching or vacancy preaching and so forth. When I have that done for me here in the dual parish, he is checking in with me. He'll let me know what he intends to preach on and if anything comes up while he's here. And it shows a respect that I have the call responsibility here. Right. I've given a piece of that to him for a weekend or whatever it may be. And it shows us being synod and walking together and supporting what we actually believe, teach, and confess about the call itself, which lots of other episodes where we go a lot deeper into the call itself, but I think is important as we've had this conversation. With just a couple minutes left here, okay, and really only a couple minutes left, as I've been going through this series of Concord Matters 4, I always like to bring it back to, again, the name of the show, that we have agreement in Christian confession, that Concord does matter for being a military chaplain. And you can feel free to share a couple other instances where you can see that having that agreement, that faithful Lutheran confession, has been important for your ministry. Just go ahead and wrap us up here. Why does Concord matter for military chaplains? Okay, I guess with that question, it's because 
kind of as I mentioned before, yes, it's the Holy Scripture which we're founded on. And as we go out, people say, well, what do you believe? I just don't say, well, I believe in the Bible, because a lot of other groups do. The confessions that have been laid down by our forefathers have been really worked well. They've been crafted well, because they had to be. They had to answer emperors. They had to answer to the papacy. They had to answer to other Lutherans that were wondering, hey, we're doing it this way. Why are you doing it that way? And so they're well-crafted. They've looked into Scripture. They're built on Scripture. And therefore, they're a place I can go to. Say, you know, boy, I got a tough nut to crack here. This will give me guidance. And I know that if I'm staying true here, then I'm staying true with my brother that's also in the ministry. I'm staying true with the congregations that have given their money and prayers and support to the chaplaincy and the chaplains that are out there, that we are walking together, and that unity is so important. And I've seen in other groups where they don't have that unity, where the Missouri Synod, there's a concern that we are caring for one another and that we have this unity that exists. The support that I've received from the Ministry of the Armed Forces has always been an outstanding support. It's always been first rate. And other denominations, they look at what we're doing, they're saying, boy, I wish I had something like that. And so part of what I get to do at times is, one nice thing about being in the chaplaincy is that we can have lots of religious conversations with some of these other clergy, and we're all kind of, okay, we're not here to banter or to you know kill each other over it. And like this one Presbyterian minister says, you Lutherans got it. You know, he doesn't agree with everything we believe, but he says, you understand military chaplaincy. And so that goes back to the Book of Concord. That goes back to our Lutheran heritage as we understand God's word as it has come to us. And that has been a great blessing because it has enabled me to actually navigate well through chaplaincy where others have not navigated so well and have had run-ins and problems because they have had a different understanding of even the left and right-hand kingdom of God. So Concord does matter. That is well said and gives you an idea of what to expect then, right? And it brings, as you said, really love what you highlighted there for us. It brings true unity to the church, even when deployed overseas, serving our country in the military. Thank you for your service, both as a pastor in the church, but also as a chaplain in the United States Navy. It's been a great pleasure having you together with us for Concord Matters here today, Pastor David Otten. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time. Keep confessing, church.